Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers to see all the stickers and postcards we have for sale. And tell your friends about us. So this week, we have a very special guest on the show, John Acorn. And yes, that is his real name. Everyone <laughs> asks me if that's his real name. So John is one of my master's research supervisors, along with Dr. Carol Frost. And John is really one of the most knowledgeable people I know. And every time I talk to him, I learn so much. And this episode is no different. I learned so many things, and I hope you do too. We got together and chatted about an animal that we're going to start seeing a lot of outside, dragonflies. We wanted to do sort of a spring-themed episode, and John is primarily an entomologist, though as we'll discuss later in the episode, you'll hear that he also has some experience with paleontology and really just so many different natural history topics. And yeah, we just have a lot of fun chatting. I will also mention that you know, in relation to the Animal Crossing game, there are a number of different dragonflies mentioned in the game. And so we decided to talk about, or or we'll hear a quote from Blathers on the Darner dragonfly specifically, just because that's one of the dragonflies we talk about in this episode specifically. Yeah, the the dragonflies are so fun in the game. They're so fast and hard to catch. And I'm just so excited for this episode because I've heard so much about John. And he's kind of like a Canadian science communication legend. It's sad I didn't actually get to be there for the conversation since it was happening in person in Edmonton. But I'm I'm really excited to get to listen to it and edit it anyway. Yeah, I remember like on ologies, on the entomology episode, which is a real OG ologies episode. Like it was one of the first ones. Ali Ward like quoted John... John wrote a book about damselflies, and in it, he calls them flying neon toothpicks. And I just, I was so excited. I was like, John, you, you were shouted out on ologies. And I remember him being like, oh yeah, cool. And I was like, no, that's really cool. (laughs) I was so excited about it. Which brings me to the point that we also talk about damselflies in this episode. So dragonflies and damselflies, there's so much to say. Great. Well, before we play the interview, let's see what Blathers has to say about one of the types of dragonflies you can catch in the game. So if you bring a Darner dragonfly to Blathers, he'll say, The Darner dragonfly is a very fast dragonfly, flying at speeds up to 40 miles per hour. They all have a distinctive green hue, but the males have blue underbellies while the females have yellow ones. It all sounds pleasant enough, no? Well, did you know that their young eat tadpoles and even some small fish? Worse, these creepy carnivores will eat each other in a pinch. Grotesque does not describe it. Ooh, spooky. There's a little tadpole (laughs) connection there. Yeah, a little bit. It's all springy. Well, yeah, without further ado, let's get into the interview. To start, I should introduce who you are. So we're here with John Acorn today. He's one of my co-supervisors at the University of Alberta. And we, you know, love talking about bugs, about wildlife in general. So do you want to tell uh, the audience a little bit about who you are and what your position is? Well, sure. Yeah, I I, I teach here at the University of Alberta. I'm happy and proud to be one of Olivia's co-supervisors 
and my interests are, um, well, they're quite broad. A lot of insect-based studies, that's, I, I like doing, I, you know, I, but I also have an interest in birds and paleontology and so on. Yeah, I, I, I've been a keen naturalist since I was a little kid and, you know, worked for a while for provincial parks and then then I worked, uh, you know, here at the university as a technician, and then I worked in paleontology for a while, and then I worked in, in, uh, uh, in, basically in television, doing, you know, the Nature Nut TV show and and a, and a birding show called Twits and Pictures, and then I wrote a bunch of books, and then I came back to the university to to uh, teach, and oh, it's just been so much fun. I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in everything, so so I'm I'm. I'm one of those, you know, jack of all trades, but master of nuns. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I, you are certainly a wealth of knowledge. Well, I, I'm a molecule thick everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but today we're going to talk about bugs. We're going to talk about dragonflies. That's my understanding. Yeah, that's the hope. I mean, it's springtime and like we're feeling the spring. It's almost here in Edmonton. And I don't know. I imagine other places probably already have you know, bugs flying around and I'm very envious of them. So I figure let's talk about oh, dragonflies. So when people start seeing them, they know a little bit about them. Sure. Yeah. Good, good, uh, good plan. And, you know, it, I mean, we're going to see other aquatic insects and insects around the pond first before we see the dragonflies. They're actually a little bit later to the party than many of the other aquatics. Um, you know, sometimes... Some, you know, you, you have to wait well into May to see your first dragonflies. But I can tell you that the first ones to, to appear in Alberta in general, or, you know, anywhere near where I am right now and you, are migrants. So they've come up from the States and, and they've actually migrated into Alberta. So, oh, wow. so, yeah, so there's like, there's one called the Green Darner. You don't see it very often, but it's a classic, um, a classic species if you go further east or further south. Beautiful, great big dragonfly. Nice, nice uh, blue and green color pattern. So we get green darners early in the season, and we also get the occasional uh, variegated meadowhawks, and they show up uh, on migration as well. And, and as far as we know, like, yeah, we don't really know what's going on here, but as far as we know, those dragonflies will lay eggs here and then those larvae will develop and then they'll migrate back south in, in the, and, the, and you, they don't overwinter. Oh, so the, the, we're talking about two generations here, so they would go? Yeah, so you have your, your migrant generation that, oh, wow. that appears in the spring and then you've got your reverse migrants that, that, you know, that develop here and then go back south. Neat, so yeah, kind of like kind how... Of cool. The only time I've heard of this is with monarchs. They'll have the multiple generations that are all taking this right. separate parts of the journey. So you would see a similar thing with some of those. Yeah, right. Yeah, or painted lady butterflies do that too. Wow. You know, they migrate in, have have a generation, sometimes two. I think, uh, no, am I right? Oh, well, who cares? We're not talking about <laughs> butterflies. We're talking about dragonflies. <laughs> <laughs> they'll have some generation. Yeah, some generation or more. I can't remember. I think they have two generations painted ladies when they arrive here. Wow. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. But the dragonflies just have one. And so but they, they would be going somewhere where presumably the season is pretty, like the winter would be pretty short or maybe there isn't really right, a winter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, 
One, one of the colleagues I miss the most now because he's passed away is uh, Gordon Pritchard was a great dragonfly expert at the University of Calgary. And he always used to say, you know what? Dragonflies and damselflies, they're fundamentally tropical creatures. It's weird that they can make a go of it here at all. <laughs> I guess that's fair. I mean, when I think of yeah. dragonflies, they're so primitive and like they're a dinosaur. Like, oh. you, you know, you, you see them in all the dinosaur media. They big saw and the dinosaurs come. They and... saw the dinosaurs go. <laughs> <laughs> they beat they beat the dinosaurs. So good for them. I oh, guess. yeah. And we have, you know, some very nice. Uh, dragonfly and damselfly fossils from um, central Alberta and, and the Paleocene sediments. And how big are those? Are those well, sort of regular? They're the regular size. Okay. Yeah, you know, everybody so, thinks whatever. about the... That's actually, <laughs> let's talk about that because the biggest dragonflies of all time were were huge. Yeah. Meganeura was the, was the genus and uh, European things and you know, I can't remember exactly what the wingspan was, but I'm holding my hands out a little wider than my shoulders. So that's big, right? Yeah, like three feet? Well, the three foot thing, as far as I know, there are no complete specimens. Like I might be making some of this up, but but there's some debate about exactly how big they were. So, yeah. so you know, and, and I remember weighing in on this a number of years ago. The The idea was... You know, the, the, it was a time back before the dinosaurs when you could have giant insects and the, the dragonflies were giant and the cockroaches were giant and everything was giant. And, and this was because there, there were, you know, there were no big vertebrates to feed on them and, and, and there was more oxygen in the air. And the more, the more people looked into it, the more they thought, eh, you know what, they were big, but they weren't that big. Mm -hmm. Like the big cockroaches, the big uh, Paleozoic cockroaches were not really much, they were no bigger than the biggest beetles and so on that live oh, today. Oh, okay. And, and the dragonfly, I know there was one estimate of the weight of a Meganeura uh, giant dragonfly at something like 190 grams, but you know, we got beetle larvae that weigh about that much now. Yeah. So, and and then other people who've looked at the at the um, the oxygen levels, they say, well, you know, you couldn't actually. It wouldn't be possible to get by with an awful lot more oxygen than we have right now because things would just sort of spontaneously burst into flames. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, too much oxygen has there are consequences yeah. to having that much oxygen. The world just becomes extraordinarily flammable. Maybe that maybe the dragonfly would just, you know, jump into the air and burst into flames. You know, they're already kind of intimidating looking. I think if they were on flames, that oh, they and, would just be. And you know, th those drag are, literal th dragons at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. For a very brief moment, they yeah. could, they could they could breathe fire. Yeah. Very brief. Yeah, uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But those dragonflies, they, they were nothing like the, the, you know, the, the dragonflies that we have today. They're, they had different body proportions. You know, you look at them reconstructed and you go, well, that sort of looks like a dragonfly. But, it, you know, the dragonflies we're accustomed to have these really big eyes and the very powerful thorax, you know, where all the muscles are. Yeah, very like helicopter and, Yeah, shaped. they're very helicopter shaped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but uh, then they were... Difference? These ones were uh, probably a lot floppier. Yeah, they, <laughs> like more like um like the thorax is is kind of slender. It's not it's not one big muscly mass. Yeah, I mean most of these reconstructions look 
pretty much like someone just drew a picture of a dragonfly. Yeah, and that's cheating. Um, that's cheating. You. <laughs> <laughs> they, I don't know. Some of the other ones look a bit more like an almost a mosquito body, like a like a big mosquito. A, a, a more slender body is is I think a more real realistic reconstruction of those things. Yeah, they remind me a bit of a bit of mayflies. Yeah, sure, sure, um, and 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 as as. As you know, and I know, mayflies and dragonflies are, you know, like they, they, they have, they share a wing muscle arrangement so mm -hmm. that the, the wing muscles are attached directly to the wings. And, and in all other flying insects, butterflies, flies, beetles, etc., the, the wing muscles are attached not to the wings, but to the walls of the thorax. And as they move the thorax, the wings move. So dragonflies and mayflies, you know, presumably get more and more similar as you go back, back further and mm -hmm. further in time. Um, Interesting. But, you know, we don't exactly have fossils that show that. So going back to the whole idea of why they got so big and why it may not have had anything to do with the oxygen levels. So it was thinking you're, it's just was just sort of what happened. It was more just. Well, you know, yeah, I, I, I. I think that's fair, and like a lack of competition, maybe. Well, or, or, or but they weren't all big, right? It's just yeah. that there was, and some were bigger, some, some were bigger, some were smaller, and uh, you know, stick around long enough, and there's going to be some variation. <laughs> Giant butterflies. <laughs> yeah, this I mean, time. <laughs> the biggest dragonflies on Earth today are not. They're maybe twice as big as as the big blue and green darners that we have, you know, around here that's still pretty it's big still like sometimes big. you see a dragonfly and like or you're biking and they hit your leg yeah and it hurts yeah like they're big enough to hurt yeah so there, there's a great big one in the southern states and there's another big one that i've seen in hawaii and there's a great big one in in australia but they're they're all you know i mean it, it's it's neat to think though about the fact that the first dragonflies were the first they're the first flying predators, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, were, they were flying around before the first birds, before the first pterosaurs, long before the first bats. So they've actually, you know, managed to keep that role to be flying predators. There's no plant-eating dragonflies. They're all little predators. Even um, as larvae? As far or as, as nymphs, sorry? As far as I know. Well, yeah, and I, I like to use the word larvae. <laughs> Just cause nymph, naiad, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that they that they have persisted even with the arrival of birds and pterosaurs and bats and that's you know, true. and other, I, and I other predatory insects like robber flies and so on. Yeah, yeah, they've managed to stay with it. That's pretty neat. Like you don't really think of them as like pioneers of the aerial predators. Oh but, yeah, but it's... no, they were. Yeah, shout out to them for that. They were very cool. Yeah, so it will be we'll be seeing them um, at least a month from now. But yeah, but you know, I'm still excited about it. Yeah, and we get different dragonflies different times of the of the, uh, of the season. Mm -hmm. You know, so we we start out with um, with some very beautiful dragonflies like like the white faces. Uh, beautifully marked with black and, and, and red and yellow patterns and then a, then a white face. 
and I like those. And I, yeah, you're, you're checking those out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're nice. Hey, now. the boreal white face. What a beautiful thing. Yeah, like right in front of their eyes, they have this nice big white spot. Yeah, and then, and then at about the same time that the white faces come out, uh, you, you see the, the various types of emeralds. And the emeralds are especially cool because of their eyes. They have these iridescent green, sometimes blue, but mostly green eyes. Hmm. And just and beautiful sort of shiny dark green iridescent uh, bodies, kind of like that that violin beside you. That seems, yes, I'm st- uh, sitting next to this beautiful, yeah, emerald forced green violin that has the most spectacular painted insects all over it. Yes, yeah, fr- um, I've always of mine, loved this violin. A friend of mine made uh, you know bought the violin and then then she she got her her brother to do green sparkle auto paint because he does auto body stuff and and then she painted the beetles on it it's a beautiful thing yeah yeah anyway that's Uh, well i should say for the audience john is an accomplished musician and has many excellent science songs and and folk songs so I, I, I'll, I'll send you the, the, the sound clip for my dragonfly song. Oh, that would be excellent. Which, which, <laughs> we'll which, definitely Which involves yodeling. I, 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 can, oh, I can now say better. that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a professional yodeler. Professional, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, the, and the emeralds are beautiful. And then, and then after that, you know, most people don't notice the white faces or the emeralds because they're mostly in kind of peatlands, you know, boggy, finny, swampy yeah, so kind of situations. Yeah, so they're not in like a park. Right, right. And then, and then, you know, into uh, well into June, then we start to see the really familiar ones. So, so the big blue ones, they're blue and gray, and, and those are the darners. Okay. And and. and they're beautiful, and mm-hmm. and they're always in the air. They're hunting in the air. You know, they're they're just cruising around. So it's a real, it, you know, make, just seeing them. It feels like a summer day. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And and then closer to the ground, you get the the yellow and red meadowhawks, and the meadowhawks are, are are beautiful in their own way. But they're much smaller. You know, like a meadowhawk body is only about what five or so centimeters long. Mm-hmm. So they're a lot smaller. But super familiar. I mean, I think for most people, those two types of dragonflies are are, are it. And right? and what are they eating specifically? Uh, they're they're eating insects, other insects that they catch in the air. So so the ones higher up are catching something presumably different than the meadowhawks, which are more right. cruising yeah. Yeah, near exactly. the grass. Yeah, and the meadowhawks will they'll they'll perch on the ground quite often. Sometimes they'll fly up from their perch to catch something. And we also have, there's a nice little sort of pale green thing that's about halfway in between the, the sizes called a snake tail. The, uh, the pale snake tail is a common dragonfly here. And they, they're, they spend most of their time perched on bare ground, like near rivers and so on. And then when they see something fly by, that's when they rush out to mm, intercept so they're it. they're sort of ambush They're ambush, yeah, okay. they're ambushers, yeah, nice. yeah. Yeah, so it's it, you know it's neat to see the different hunting styles that they have and the different colorations. And there's many, many, you know, dozens of species here, and more species as you go anywhere mm-hmm. except north. <laughs> <laughs> How far but north the, do they usually get? Well, you know, there 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 are still dragonflies as you get up into the territories. So you know, I, I, there's not any. Arctic dragonflies, I don't think. Which is funny because they have more than enough bugs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. But, uh, yeah, they, you know. 
And and how how do they survive the cold temperatures? It's you know it's mostly as a larva in the winter or as an egg in the winter. Some of the larvae freeze solid into the ice. Wow, that's their defense. And there's no fish yeah. that's going to get them when they're yeah, you know geez. surrounded by ice. <laughs> and yeah, once you get up there, the uh, ice gets unbelievably yeah, thick. Yeah, and and the eggs are more are more cold tolerant than than the larvae. So, so those species that spend the winter as an egg, that's that's a pretty good strategy for them. So even the eggs could also freeze into the ice? Uh, oh, sorry, I, I, I should explain this. Most of the species that spend the winter as an egg, the egg is actually laid um, a little bit outside the ponds, right? Oh, okay. So, so um, and, and then, you know, as you know, all ponds fill with with meltwater in the springtime, and mm-hmm. as that meltwater comes up, then it wets the eggs, and then they hatch, right? So they're mm-hmm. they're it's a nice sort of strategy for making sure your eggs don't hatch prematurely, uh, and so on. That's uh, yeah, very cool. I, but, I mean, but, yeah, and that that water can really it, it can go pretty far. Like I was just doing a walk around Big Lake, which is a lake near Edmonton, and. I was on a trail that didn't look like it was going to be flooded, and all of a sudden I was kind of trapped by very oh, oh, oh. deep water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Here, here's, here's a neat little story about that. One of the meadowhawk species, I don't know, you know, how, how do they recognize the edge of a pond? Mm-hmm. Who knows, you know, because they're dragonflies. They got dragonfly eyeballs and dragonfly brains, and they will often lay eggs in lawns. Like just mm. in a suburban green grass lawn, and those eggs never hatch because the lawn never floods, right? Yeah. So, so, and and this 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 has puzzled us for a long, long time. Like, there's so many eggs going into lawns, and yet the species is still one of our most common species. So there you go. Really wow. crazy is stuff. That, yeah. Do you think that might be? That they're misinterpreting a road I, I as think, a water body. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe they interpret the road as the water body, or maybe there's some like polarization coming off the the the, the lawn, or, or 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 some UV signature, or something that just reminds them of, you know, pond side vegetation. That's I, I interesting. No, but yeah. Well, we've been talking a lot about UV this week. Oh, we have. Yeah. <laughs> so, if any listeners know a lot about UV. Let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it, it you know there's other species that lay eggs in those kind of situations. Or pardon me, on on pond margins that don't lay eggs in lawns. Weird. So there's something about that one particular species of dragonfly that it's getting kind of turned just, around. It's just a little messed up. Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of you know the eggs and the larvae, can you talk a little bit about what we're seeing with those those nymphs and what oh, they are oh, like. Oh, there's, I mean, you know, there's just nothing about a, a dragonfly or a damselfly. And we haven't talked about the difference between the two. No, but there's not. nothing about the the larvae of either that isn't just totally weird. Yeah. Like, and damselflies <laughs> are basically just skinny uh, dragonflies. It's a different suborder, yes. uh, but closely related. Damselfly larvae, they, they breathe with these beautiful three big leafy gills at the end of their body, at the end of the abdomen. Dragonfly larvae, uh, and I know this is kind of gross, but it's fun. Uh, they <laughs> breathe with their rectum. They, they, they inhale water into their rectum and, and expel it out of there, and the gills are within the rectum. And, and you're, you know, the obvious question is, well, 
isn't it kind of gross when they poop? But they actually poop into a membrane so that their, their, their feces are enclosed and can be expelled, oh, whoa. Uh, you know, without fouling the gill chamber. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's very, it's huh. very neat. It's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, baby birds produce a little sort of a sack, right? A fecal sack. When yeah. They, and then the mother can take it away from the nest so that all the poop isn't just a clue to predators that there's, hmm. that there's little edible birds there. Yeah, it's remarkable. And, and then dragonfly larvae, because they use the rectum for breathing, they can also use it for um, for propulsion. They can they can expel water quickly and shoot themselves forward in the water. Wow, what a multi-purpose butt oh, that they have. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, uh, you know, in insects, you know that insects have an exoskeleton, so that, you know, it's hardened on the outside of the body. But that cuticle, the hard part, also extends into the foregut, like down the throat, and up the hindgut, right? And then it's only oh. the midgut that is membrane, so that so that you know nutrition can can pass to the body. Uh, so so that whole rectal apparatus of the dragonfly larva is is you know it's it's hardened. It's 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 nothing like any other rectum one might want to imagine. <laughs> Yes, if you're prone to imagining rectums. Yes, um. yeah, well, but you know, how, how can you stop people when you talk about these things? True. Yeah, wow, so just to reassure anyone so strange has the wrong idea. Yeah. Well, that's the first weird thing about yeah. the, oh. the nymphs of dragonflies oh, and absolutely. damselflies. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The, 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 the other weird thing is um, is the front end of the body because, <laughs> because they, they hunt with a modified lower lip that actually has a hinge in it. So it actually shoots out like a little arm from from the underside of the head and it has little uh, jaw-like grabbers on the end of it and they, and they use it to uh, to grab their prey as it as it swims by. It's it's just it's just remarkable and it's very quick. It's, you know, it's like a frog's tongue or a chameleon's tongue, but it has jaws on the end. Yeah, it's a, is it a spring cool. apparatus that it's using to shoot it out? Yeah, it it, it is. They, you know, they 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 yeah they they re- release the tension and out it goes and and it is amazing. I mean, we have a specimen yeah. in the lab that I TA for the course that you teach that we have a beautiful dragonfly nymph with its jaws sticking out. It really threw the students off during the exam because they saw it and got so distracted by this like. Yeah, it looks like this big scoop that's sticking out and then has these kind of scary little chomper things on the end. And I yeah, think a oh, lot of yeah. them got really thrown off because no, they I've... were going, what is this weird <laughs> alien thing with the scary biters on the end? But yeah, it's a drain. Right. And, and when you see them, you know, if you're scooping in a pond or whatever, you see these things. And, you know, the, the lower lip is only extended for a fraction of a second. Mm-hmm. So to have it, you know, fully extended on a specimen, it, it is. Oh, it's really cool disorienting yeah and the the nymphs themselves are quite big too when you, you oh, find them sometimes in the pond yeah yeah especially for the for the you know the darner dragonflies have big big nymphs and, and those those nymphs are very sort of streamlined and elongate but mm-hmm. you have nymphs of other species of dragonflies in the, in the skimmer family that can be um, very very wide-bodied and flattened uh, they can almost look like, you know, like a coin 
with legs. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah, really, really, that. really wide. Yeah. And they, and they get covered with, with, with pond crud, you know, and, 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 and algae and junk just sort of accumulates on them. And then they're perfectly camouflaged yeah. as, as they skulk around. You know, some of them are up in the vegetation underwater. Some of them are down on the, on the bottom. Some of them are actually uh, buried um, mostly in sediments, right? And, and they'll just shoot out the little lip from a hidden <laughs> concealed position. Yeah, I, I remember when this summer when I was collecting and we'd have all this gunk that we found in the pond and we dumped it into our sifter and started rinsing it out. I would be sitting there and suddenly this huge dragonfly larva that's like a <laughs> half an inch long, really thick, would just come crawling out very zombie-like from this mud. And it was kind of disturbing yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it and, very and like, much looked like The Walking Dead because it's covered in mud. Well, it doesn't look... Yeah, that, it, like you can see legs, I guess, but otherwise it, it's very odd. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's, uh, you know, the damselfly larvae generally keep themselves pretty clean, but the dragonfly larvae, the more crud that sticks to them, the better. <laughs> yeah, the, I feel like the the damselfly larvae feel very much like little fairy mermaids. Like they're just so green and or, or beautiful blue. And yeah, they are very clean. Yeah, yeah. Super nice. Super nice. And, you know, and there's, of course... There's different species of dragonflies and damselflies in different types of water bodies. So, you know, you get some that like flowing water and some that like still water and some that like big lakes and some that like little ponds and some <laughs> like, you know, swampy, willowy, flooded places and some that like uh, peatlands and just little, you know, sphagnum pools. And yeah. Would they, would you find them in... I know a lot of those aquatic insects like really small puddles and very temporary water bodies. Yeah. Are there a lot of dragonflies and damselflies that will use those water bodies as well? Yeah. And some of the smallest um, habitats include, well, if, if you don't mind talking about tropical things for just a second. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there are pools of water in some epiphytic plants, right? Mm. Uh, uh, you know, plant, like, like air plants, bromeliads, thing, you know, yeah. these plants that are on the bark or, you know, on the sides of trees. And, they, and they'll collect a little pool of water and you can have a damselfly larva living in that pool of water eating other bugs that come <laughs> to live in that pool of water. Nice. <laughs> and I, I've, 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 there's one of the... Uh, neatest damselflies in our part of the world is the western red damsel. So it's the only red damselfly here, just beautifully red. Mm -hmm. The females are kind of more orangey red, the males are more sort of dark blood red. But uh, they, they live uh, in spring-fed water. And, and one of the spots where I, where I found them, the, the, there's a spring coming out of a badland hill, and then below the spring there's this sort of big muddy area and and cattle had been tromping through the mud and and so you get pools of water in individual cow footprints oh wow and and it, you know like you'd find a larva that was living its whole life in in one cow footprint <laughs> oh my and and the cow footprint you know never froze because there's always water oozing through the sediments from oh. the spring and what a weird habitat. Yeah. yeah just works, little, works. little individual puddles. Very small. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. And when, um, you know, in those tropical areas, are you seeing 
dragonflies pretty much all year round usually. Yeah, yeah. And and you don't have to get that far south before that's the case. You know, the southern states, you've got a lot of a lot of dragonflies that are kind of well. buzzing around even in even in the colder Oh, that's so colder fun. months yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh, but you know ha- having having referred to them as tropical organisms it is remarkable how many different kinds we have here yeah like in terms of diversity do you know how many species of dragonfly there are well i'm trying to rem- i should i should remember this and you know what i'm not going to remember but there's there's 22 species of damselflies i know that because i wrote a book about them mm-hmm. and then what is it it's about a, about 50 species of dragonflies i think I here think. in alberta yeah mm. and if i'm wrong i'm really sorry but i think that's right. <laughs> something like that <laughs> yeah that kind of makes sense that's a, a you know fair number of species oh yeah um, yeah especially for something Kind of big, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. With the two, the two migratory species that I was telling you about earlier, and then, you know, all the all the others sort of settling out wherever they mm-hmm. wherever they do best. Yeah, I've I've always been kind of curious because I've heard that they have good eyesight. Is that actually true? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. The and and even the larvae because the larvae have big compound eyes. In other words, eyes with multiple lenses, and each mm-hmm. lens has its own little receptor uh, beneath the lens. So the whole thing is called an omatidium. So you can have you know thousands upon thousands of omatidia in in each eye, and and the dragonflies are are so they. They not only have detailed vision, but they've also got, you know, eyes that face in just about every direction because they surround the head, basically. You mm-hmm. know, you look at their eyes and they, these, these, uh, these lenses are facing all different directions. And the way I understand it, at least, you know, dragonfly nervous systems are refreshing more frequently than our own. So, so... You know, for us, like the the way we watch movies, right, is that if if the f- if the frames of the movie are going by at more than like twenty four frames per second, then it all seems like a continuous picture. It just looks like reality, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but to a dragonfly, that would be very jittery because they would see the black parts in between the frames, right? Oh like wow! Their 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 refresh rate, their their flicker fruit fusion rate is way way higher. So, so everything must kind of look like it's happening in slow motion, at least to, from our perspective. You know, they just, they just catch movement so much faster than we do. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of what Adrian, Dr. Adrian Smith was saying to right. us last week. And he works at the Museum of North Carolina. Yeah, correct? the Natural History yeah, Natural Museum. History yeah, Museum. yeah. And he or Natural Science Museum. I anyway, oh. <laughs> that excellent museum in North Carolina. Yes, that's where and he works. Yeah, he films insects in slow motion. He was saying how, you know, we're sort of seeing insects at the rate that they would see each other. Yeah, because they're operating on a whole different scale than us. Right. Yeah, um, different time scale. So it makes sense that they would be able to see so much faster because they're hunting oh. creatures oh. that are moving very quickly. Yes. Um, yeah, and 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 they're interacting with each other very quickly. Yeah. And you know, it's just it's just marvelous to watch dragonflies and damselflies fly in that you know high frame rate video, mm-hmm. and and then you realize that the 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 four wings are operating independently of the hind wings, you know, and it's very complicated. It's not like it's not like butterflies, like the hind wings just sort of trail along after the four wings, 
and flies only have two wings to start with. Yeah. But dragonflies, <laughs> the forewings are doing a different thing than the hindwings, and they're just they're maneuvering so fast and they're reacting to each other and they're you know, and they're they're chasing after these tiny little bugs, you know, and you just you just you just watch dragonflies, especially darners, because they're always doing everything in the air. And you'll see them cruising along, and then all of a sudden just flip up and 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 catch something and come back. And it's so fast. Wow. It's so fast. And they're yeah, it's remarkable. Are they do they take a long time to eat their food or they sort of like grab it, it's gone. They can keep going. Uh, I, I think it depends on how big the food is. I mean, they certainly can eat on the wing, but occasionally, you know, you see them catch something really big, and then they have to, they <laughs> have to, down. they have to settle down. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. Just one story that comes to mind: we're out in September, like you know, there are dragonflies out actually quite well into October, you know, in this part of the world. But we're out one time in September. You remember my my uh, wonderful student Zach and Zach and I and our, our pal Gary were 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 catching butterflies and, and we catch this fritillary, a great spangled fritillary, pretty big butterfly, and we're marveling at how how ratty looking it is. Like it's really it's lived its life to the full and it's got about half its wings left and it's you know yeah, but it's September you know and. You know that's that's what life is like for a butterfly, yeah. and so so you know with with great uh, ceremony, Jack or Zach, pardon me, I call him Jack. I always forget. <laughs> <laughs> he calls me Ron and Don just when I do that. Uh, anyway, uh, he lets this butterfly go, and it and it just flutters up kind of weakly into the air, and right away, boom! Oh. This big darner hits it. <laughs> but then you can see the darner. Weighed down by the weight of this oh, butterfly, wow. and it and it had is slowly came down to, to earth and and perched and then chewed on the on the uh, on the butterfly for some time. Holy smokes! And so yeah, their mouth parts are chewing mouth parts. So yeah, not doing any kind of yeah, slurping. Yeah, no up slurping. Of... It's it's all it's all chewing mouth parts and um, yeah, the bigger ones. You know, if you if you handle them incautiously you can you you certainly feel it when they bite you oh wow okay but, yeah but you know and I, I, I was going to tell you about how how interesting it is that they're flying around they're often flying around during pretty warm weather and they're generating a lot of heat with those big flight muscles you know working both sets of wings mm-hmm. so so the, there's actually a danger of them overheating and and one of the, one of the things that they're able to do is they're able to send their body fluids, which is not blood, right? It's hemolymph, mm. which is just kind of this body fluid thing that bugs have. And they, they'll send it out that long, slender abdomen and then back, and and it cools down when it's going out into the abdomen and coming back, and that then oh. cools the 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 flight muscles, and that's so cool. it's sort of like. There's lots of animals that have large, like elephant ears. Or yeah, thin, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a heat area. radiating system. Yeah. That, is that, I would imagine their long abdomen is helpful for that, but also for probably balance maybe when they're for, flying? For, or? for balance when they're flying. Okay. And, and they also use the long abdomen to, um, depending on the species, to place the egg, like the 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 the, uh, the damsel, or dragonfly or damselfly can, it can stay above the surface 
with its with its thorax and, and breathe air and stick the abdomen way down underwater and, and cut a little slice into a water plant and deposit an egg there or whatever. Okay. Yeah, so they're they're doing a lot of cool things. And, and the way they, well, we got to talk about dragonfly mating. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. It's something you see so much. Sure. And it's kind of amazing that they can do it. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, they, they have... They have the normal sorts of, of um, you know, reproductive organs near, you know, in the abdomen, near the end of the body, but they mate in a completely weird way that the male, before they mate, the male transfers sperm from the end of his abdomen to an organ on the underside of the base of his abdomen, and then he courts the female grabs the female with claspers on the end of his abdomen by the back of her eyes. Oh, boy. In dragonflies and, and by the shoulders in damselflies. And, and then the female curves her abdomen up and around to meet this organ on the underside of the base of his abdomen. And, and then at that point, it's hard to imagine, like, uh, if you're just listening, but you've seen this, right? At that point, they're both kind of facing the same direction. So yeah, they, they look f- like a pretzel. Yeah, it's kind of a flying pretzel with with <laughs> with eight wings, and they're sort of flying in the in the same direction, right? And and uh, yeah, and, and and that's, that's and they'll they'll do that for a long. time. They'll do time. that for a long time, and and then the male will often remain attached to the by his abdomen to the to the female's head while she lays egg be, eggs because he's. You know, preventing her from mating with other males, uh, which, and the the way it works in dragonflies and damselflies generally is, the most recent male to mate with the female, that's the sperm that's used to fertilize the egg. Oh, okay. So right? she isn't like storing. Any yeah, sperm. Okay. yeah. So 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 uh, so you know, if the mating is interrupted, then the other the next uh, mating is going to be the one that fertilizes the eggs, right? And that would be a real shame after doing this Which whole Which would be a real thing. shame. Now, the, here's the here's the beautiful thing. Uh, the beautiful thing is that if you if you think of that that uh, wheel position, it's called the wheel position by dragonfly people, odinatologists. Odin, yes, that's yes. right. Dragonflies uh, and damselflies are odinates. Yes, you ever right. heard that so, word? So those who study them are odinatologists. Uh, but the wheel position really looks like a little heart. It looks like a Valentine heart, That's right? That's true. And, yeah. and there, there are these red uh, damselflies. And if you look at red damselflies in the wheel position, they, they, they make a Valentine heart. And when you think about it, Valentine hearts, you know the classic Valentine heart shape. It doesn't look like a real heart very much. <laughs> real hearts don't look like that at all. They're kind of triangular and they got pipes coming out of them. I, I think maybe maybe the obvious romantic implications of, of damselfly wheel positioning are, are reflected in our design of the <laughs> Valentine heart. That's, I mean, I'm looking at a photo of theory. it now. It's convincing, it isn't is it? It is very convincing. You can see, like, it, it makes a perfect little cartoon heart shape. Yes, and where does that shape exist? Elsewhere in nature? No Nowhere place. else. Nowhere. <laughs> the <laughs> occasional leaves, rock that you find which don't on, seem a, very... on a beach. Yes. Yeah. Wow, this is actually, that is a very compelling idea. <laughs> These photos are <laughs> yeah, pretty darn accurate. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of neat, eh? Neat. Kind of neat. And, you know, and it, 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 it maybe just the fact that there are so few red ones makes it 
harder for people to see. Maybe. They're definitely easier to catch when they're in this position. Yeah. They're very distracted. So if you really want, are having a hard time catching them, they are not as dexterous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they are. They're, they're fun to study, but they're, boy, they're tricky to catch. Yeah. And, and I remember last summer when we were talking about catching these things or studying odonates, their exuviae were very helpful to yes. um, collect. Yeah. This is something that... that um, odontologists have discovered is that you know you 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 hang around a pond let's say the question is you've got a pond it's in a park or something and and, the, and you know you want to know what species are living there and so you hang around the pond and you and you and you record which species come by the pond and then you figure well these are these are obviously the species that are that are living and breeding in our pond but the fact of the matter is that Dragonflies are flying around so much that any pond can look like it has a huge fauna of dragonflies and damselflies, but they're not actually making use of it, right, as, as a breeding habitat. So the way you get at what is actually breeding there is to walk around the periphery of the pond every morning, like really early before the wind comes up, and collect all the shed uh, skins where the where the larvae have have you know metamorphosed into adults, and those are called the exuviae, and then you can identify those, and then you know what species are there. Yeah, and, and the and, shed skin look very much like a oh, carbon oh, copy yeah. of the yeah. Yeah, the they're easy to uh, the the and why don't you just catch the 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 nymphs in the in the water because until they reach their very last stage they're almost impossible to identify. Mm -hmm. So you got to get that last stage to get the identifiable ones. Yeah, and to, and to clarify too, so these are, they're shedding throughout. They've got sort of... Yes, that yeah, that's right. Multiple points where they'll shed. Right. This is the last shedding. Yeah, and we call them instars. Yes. Yeah, good old yeah. instar. Instar, it's always confusing because you know, people are like, well, no, it's a stage. Well, no, the stage is like the difference between egg and larva and adult and if there's a pupa, but instar is... It's its own thing. Yes, a, a, between molts when you are a larva. I've always felt that the name, it sounds cool, but it also doesn't sound like it has anything to do with insects. Yeah, instar. Like an what instar. Kind of, I, I don't even, I know nothing about the origin of that word, but it is... I remember the first time reading it and thinking that it must have been a spelling mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you don't yeah. that word, that's what that is. Very now you're, cool. you're getting me all excited about dragonfly season. Yeah, it's coming up. I mm -hmm. see the net on the wall. Yeah. Ready to go. I've got one in the back of my car. Good, good, good. Definitely awaiting the dragonflies. Yes, and, and our, our friend, uh, the thing to watch for this year, our friend Alex has been spreading the word that there is, and I'm, I'm gonna forget what exactly it is, but there's one species of dragonfly that is known in our part of the world from like one or two larval records. And and it, yeah, what is it? What's the name of that thing? And, and, oh, it, and it, should, sure. it should be, when it's active, it hunts over top the river, like high in the air over top the river what? and so, so nobody's actually ever found an adult. So and this is the big this is the big dragonfly quest. Oh man, I should have looked this up before okay, we spoke. I didn't know about. What? I mean, you're welcome to look it up now. Yeah, and... but I, I'm, I I'd probably waste time thinking about it. 
I'll just tell you that there's some rare dragonfly that that Alex is leading. That Alex Lapierre is leading the charge to find this thing so and confirm it as the adult. So he's got this mysterious nymph, and the yeah. assumption is that it's an adult. Like if they haven't found it, how do they know that it's presumably above a river? Well, because in other places, that's how it behaves. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. So this is a species yeah. that so is known species from other places. So it's a species that's known from oh, other okay. places, just hasn't been confirmed Ooh. here. So, so someone's got to get a drone and a net uh, yeah. to just like <laughs> trawl the river. <laughs> yeah, or, or or an extremely long telephoto lens and, and get a nice flight shot out. I don't or, know. Or how like we're one of do those this. nets that you bring to the rainforest, the really tall butterfly yeah, nets. Yeah, I've got one of like, those. You have one of those. Oh, well, there yeah, you go. Yeah, it, and it, then. When when the when the bioquip company was in business, they they sold something called the Tropics Net, mm. and it had I think mine has like six meter long handle sections, that, oh, and you can't actually you can't swing that net. No, you know once it's once it's straight up, you pretty well have to. Once it starts coming down, it comes down all the way, no matter what you do. <laughs> Can you imagine over a river, you're getting swept oh, away? I know it, it would be. It'd have to be a lot more. A lot younger and more athletic. Yeah, I don't even know. Like catching dragonflies is hard enough as it is. It, it, you know, like it, it really is. Catching yeah. a high flying. Well, no wonder no one's seen it. I know it's, but but you know what? Was... Maybe if you stand off the high level bridge, and you just sort of yeah, or just sweep hang, it hang from a rope. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad idea. Yeah, no, maybe we need not safety ideal. forms for that. That's, I don't think they're not the going to approve it. They're not going to approve it. Yeah, no. yeah, forget it. Oh <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Well, that that's good to know. Yeah, and is why it... can't I remember what that is? Because my brain is full of other stuff that's accumulated since the last. I mean, you basically season. just improv. Like I told you two days ago, we're going to talk about. No, I told you yesterday <laughs> that we were talking about dragonflies today. So you you already know a lot of things that you're just pull- so I'm not blaming you for not remembering this very specific well, dragonfly you. name. Yeah. I, I, that. Well, that's that's very interesting. Speaking of rare dragonflies, are there conservation concerns with any particular species of dragonfly? The, oh yeah, I mean, I mean certainly. Um... Globally, there are lots and lots of species that are on the on the conservation radar, and I'm I'm going to forget exactly which species are of importance locally, except for one of my absolute favorites, which has a great name, the vivid dancer. Ooh. And the vivid dancer is a is a damselfly. It's not a dragonfly proper. It's a damselfly, but in Alberta, it lives only in the the warm water coming from the cave and basin hot springs in Banff. Oh, wow. So it's in the same place as the Banff spring snail, which is, you know, this this thing that lives only in Banff. It's a I very mean, famous snail to Albertans. Oh, yeah. There are other vivid dancers in other hot springs, in, you know, in Western North America. But in Alberta, that's the only place they live. So there's all this kind of excitement about about are they going to be okay because there's these introduced fish that live there and the fish haven't seemed to have harmed the damselflies and they've been living with aquarium fish for a long time now. But yeah, mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's one that, that is on, on the radar. Yeah, and I mean, to anyone who doesn't know, the fish there are 
you know, pe- it's such warm water that people started releasing their fish. Is that right? That, yeah, that, that, that's right. Uh, yeah, and, and if you go, there's this beautiful, beautiful wetland. I love that wetland, but it is filled with unusually tropical yeah, fish. It's, for... it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of amusing. <laughs> I mean, there, there's mollies in there, you know, and that's a very familiar pet store yeah. fish. And then there's a, a rather beautiful, but you don't see it in pet stores very often, the, the, the West African jewel cichlid. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's, you know. I, I mean, I like looking at them. I, I, I know, know they're not supposed to be there. Well, but you know, like they're, they're and they're not going anywhere because no. they cannot survive anywhere outside of that warm water. And then the other one is, is mosquito fish. And mosquito fish are not common in the pet trade, but they're commonly introduced in various places to control mosquitoes, tropical mm-hmm. places, I should say. Mm-hmm. So who knows, who knows how those got into Banff? I don't know. <sighs> yeah. But anyway, there you go. Yeah, but it's, but you know, they, they, the spring is shared with this beautiful, beautiful uh, damselfly. Well, that's dancer. cool. I mean, yeah. they, looking at a photo of them, they look quite similar to a lot of the blue dragon damselflies you see, but... They do look certainly more vivid, they're as just their a, name suggests. Yeah, they're, and they're like, just a little snappier, you know, because you see along the abdominal segments, there's just a little sort of, a little a little speed line of blue. You know, there's not just a blue patch. There's also a little D, a little dash of blue. Oh, I, I think nice. I see it, yeah. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> Very nice. And, you know, and... And in, in Eastern Canada, they've got what is the Heinz Emerald, I think is the one that's, that's a big excitement that's... Uh, a conservation concern species. I think that one lives as larvae. I think it lives in the in the burrows of crayfish. Oh wow! Yeah, kind of a neat little microhabitat. Um, and it I has extremely green eyes. Oh yeah, holy like smokes. those emeralds. Holy yeah, yeah. They're they're, they're like little beauty, jewels, beauty, beauty little things. Yeah, super cool. Well, you know, that's kind of, and, and in some places they, they use the existence of particular species as, you know, an indicator of water quality, especially for flowing water, you know, mm. and, and the, the, the club-tailed dragonflies, the larvae live in flowing water. So, yeah, they've, they've been used in that, in, that, in that sense, along with, you know, various um, uh, mayflies, stoneflies, and, uh, and caddisflies as mm. indicators of quality streams you know whatever quality means i mean you know (laughs) a really mucky polluted stream is still home to something but yeah yeah, as we've learned yeah yeah as of last summer yeah no doubt yeah there's some pretty mucky mucky ponds out Mm -hmm. there and things seem to like living there even so and we know that we know the stuff that that lives there (laughs) (laughs) yeah firsthand I, here's one thing I wanted to ask. For those who want to catch dragonflies or explore the world of dragonflies, what are some things that they should do? Well, yeah, you know, if, if, if you want to look at the adults up close, the best way is, is to use, a you know, your basic butterfly net. Be a little gentle, though. I mean, you got to be fast, but you got to be gentle because especially that connection between their big, crazy head and the rest of their body is a very delicate connection. Yeah. You can hold them. You can hold them by them. the wings, and the, you know, it's, the, the wings are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty robust, and have a quick look at them. And, and, and do you sort of pinch off. the wings up? Yeah, that's yeah. But they're you know they're also really nice subjects for photography. Yeah. And and a lot of a lot of people like to sort of look for them really early in the day before they get going, you know, because then they're still cool and you can sneak up on them a little better. And they make they make beautiful photographs for sure. 
Yeah, I've seen photos of like them covered in sort of hoarfrost. Yeah, or, looking or, really pretty. Or do dappled do, with dew. Yeah. Yes, lovely, lovely, lovely. You know, and and on a, on a nice uh, warm evening, you'll often find the uh, the dragonflies accumulating on the last sun warmed um, surfaces, uh, right? Yeah. Like on fences <laughs> that are facing the sunset. And oh, that's really so nice. And then and then the larvae are. You, bait, you scoop around with a net in just about any pond, you're going to get dragonfly and damselfly larvae. For sure. Yeah. And they're so fun to look at. Oh, so yeah. I do recommend yeah. that. And you can, you know, you, you watch dragonflies and damselflies with binoculars too. Yeah. You know, just like birds. And there <laughs> are our field birdie. guides. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for this very fun chat about dragonflies. I'm sure our audience will really enjoy it. And we've been meeting to have you on the show. I know you've given little clips to the show in the past, so we appreciate that. Well, that way it was really fun. Nice, nice to talk to you, and, and, and you've reminded me of all the things that I've forgotten that I'll refresh my memory on. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. Thanks again to John for coming on the show. And I really hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I did getting to make it. Yeah, I had so much fun listening to that. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. And yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers and check out our TikTok at Beyond underscore Blathers. And don't forget to take a look at our shop at Etsy.com slash shop slash Beyond Blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.